0: You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith.
1: Hello, welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGeehan, and I am joined with Dr. Chris Bloom, the provost of the graduate school here at the Augustan Institute. Thank you for joining.
0: Oh, Mary. Great to be here. Great to be with all of our foreign viewers. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to have you. And the episode today is on the life of St. Vincent de Paul. So the series Catholic Saints is to learn a little bit about their life, mm-hmm. biographical sketch, legacy that they left to the church, mm-hmm. to really look to them as sources of inspiration for our own lives today in the Catholic pilgrimage that we are walking. Mm-hmm. So to begin, St. Vincent de Paul can you give a brief biographical sketch? Sure. Where is he from? When did he live? Do mm-hmm. we know anything about his family? To start. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So for, born about 1580, uh, plus or minus a year or two, died in 1660. Okay. He was from southwestern France. So for the mar- the marshy plains south of the city of Bordeaux.
1: Okay.
0: So territory for shepherds. And he came from a shepherd's family. Um, it's not not clear how poor he was exactly, but certainly not a not a wealthy family. Um, and as a, as a young man, he seems to have been bitten with a certain amount of ambition. Um, so he um, he was very charming, and he somehow managed to have his first. Uh, benefits in the church, we'll come back to that word and talk about that a little bit. By the time he was 18, he was ordained a priest before his 20th birthday.
1: Oh, that is yeah. young.
0: Yeah. And then and, and he was a bit of a careerist for the next decade. So it's a very curious story, the decade of his 20s. Um, um, but we'll, we'll skip over that for the moment and, okay. and just say that when when he did settle down in, in Paris uh, after or right around his 30th birthday, um, he he grew into being a a very zealous and devoted and serious-minded priest. Um, In his 40s, he founded a couple of religious orders, a religious order for men called the Congregation Hmm. of the Mission, a religious order for women called the Daughters of Charity. And as he went through uh, the the autumn of his life, in his 60s and 70s, he was a, a leader in the Church of France directing seminaries. He served on the council of, of the king that chose bishops for France. Um, he was a spiritual director of, of renown for, um, for priests often. Um, and he had a kind of uh, training, a kind of informal training ground for priest leaders that he, that he hmm. held. Um, and from that informal circle, based in Paris, and it lasted over over quite some period of time, um, twenty of his directees went on to become bishops. Oh wow! Yeah, really. Twenty. 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 Okay. Yeah. So so it's it's quite it's quite an astonishing life. Um, and, and, and he's he's a founder and an ecclesiastical statesman, while also an apostle to the poor. Mm. and a man of a rich interior life. So there's the sketch.
1: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That makes sense. He is a saint. He yes. has a wonderful combination. Mm. What do we know then about his spirituality? Uh, that, what, are, what is the essence of the congregation he started? Mm-hmm. Or um, Yeah, what, what are some of his main pillars he brought to these communities and formation mm-hmm. of the men he discipled?
0: Yeah, let's take a let's take a closer look at, at his story then. Okay. Um so uh as a as a young man, he um was w- w- was uh privileged to have an inheritance from an extended family member, an uncle or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um but he had to go off and and sort of seek it. So he he went off to contend for it. He was about 25 years old at the time. Uh and decided to take a boat back to the region of France where he was from, got captured by a Turkish pirate ship and enslaved in North Africa for two years.
1: Really curious, (laughs) yeah, extraordinary. And
0: while, while he was there from his first owner, he learned alchemy. You know whether we think there is such a thing as alchemy to be learned in any event, he he learned some tricks, you know, with chemicals, we would hmm. say. And then his second owner turned out to have been a a French Catholic man who had been who was an apostate from the Catholic faith and decided to make himself something of of a Muslim in North Africa it seems so that he, can enjoy, he could enjoy having multiple wives. So it was a really curious fellow. Interesting. And visited Paul, who was a priest, okay, converted this man or at least got him to recognize that he was living in sin and that he needed to come back to his faith. Um, so this man... Came back to france with with vincent de Paul and left behind his disordered life and so forth at which point you might think wow okay so this young man is doing these sort of extraordinary things on mission and so forth he's really got his act together as a young priest well not exactly he then goes off uh he, he impresses some high-ranking cleric because of his supposed skills at alchemy ends up in rome for a year uh just kind of hanging around and living the high life and uh making connections
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then from there follows those connections back to paris he's in his late 20s at this point and he's he's basically on the make you know and um this is this is an odd thing for us right we don't experience the church today as a as a setting to make your career, you know, like as a place to get rich or, you know, become famous or something like this, you know. But in, in Catholic Europe in the 17th century, you know, for practical purposes, everybody's Catholic, right? And there's the accumulated wealth of six, seven, eight centuries of pious bequests, you know. So Charlemagne gives... This piece of land to this bishop, and then mm. Charlemagne's mm-hmm. grandson gives this piece of land to another. You know, and all of a sudden, the church has got all this money and so on. And the way the church did her business at this time all over Europe uh, was that clerical jobs had income that that, in one way or another, came from land <laughs> from the agricultural produce of, of the land, and that income was the. Benefice, the the benefit we would say in english right but the the, be, the beneficium uh, that that supported the cleric in his life so he didn't have a salary per se right the bishop didn't give him a salary and the difference between this priest and another priest was that you know one of them might have a, a beneficium uh, a benefice that was incredibly uh, cushy right lots of income mm-hmm. and others might be dirt poor Right, and so the kind of that navigating the clerical life uh, for an ambitious young man who wasn't particularly pious had to do with trading in one benefice for another and making friends and influencing people until the point in which you've got a comfortable life for yourself. This is what he was doing.
1: Interesting. Re- okay. It,
0: yeah, not very edifying. No. Okay. Yes,
1: you- you, when you mentioned he was a charmer, you can see how that at this point stage of his life.
0: Yes, exactly. Came in he handy. was he was a real charmer. He was he had a great sense of humor. He was extremely energetic. He was sort of rakishly handsome, you know. <laughs> and um, what this landed him in uh, was uh, a situation in which he was he was the personal um, sort of chaplain, if you will, for the for the wife of one of the richest men in France. Okay. Hmm. Plum job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the point in his life; he's in his early thirties when he's he's actually starting to take his priesthood more seriously. He's met an older priest, a cardinal, in fact, a man named Berulle, impossible to pronounce, uh, <laughs> the Cardinal de Berulle, uh, who is who is basically a mystic, uh, mm-hmm. and he he insisted uh, to use our manner of speaking today. Okay, he he insisted that. The Christian needed to have a personal relationship with Christ, right? So to meet Christ in the in the Scriptures, to measure one's own life uh, against the Lord, and so forth.
1: And this came from the cardinal. This came said? from this okay. this
0: cardinal, this mystical fellow Berul, who had this influence on, on Vincent to Paul and around. Uh, you know, around his 30th birthday, around that time, 1609, 1610, 1611, 1612, he becomes the chaplain of this family. Mm. And he's taking that work seriously. And the family owns all kinds of estates around France. And and he had an, an extraordinary experience in 1617 at the age of 37 that that did lead to the abrupt change of life that you've been waiting for. Like, where, where's the saint? <laughs> when does know? he become
1: holy? <laughs> where, what, what's
0: going on here? You know. Yes. And so he's he's out at you know some some village uh, that belongs to this very wealthy family, uh, in some sense. Right. The, the people are not they're not slaves or anything, but they the produce of their agricultural work is owed to the owners of, of the land, you know, so it's, it's their village, you could say, Mm. and he's there getting to know these people and spending 10 days or so with them. And a man, uh, presents himself for the, for the sacrament of penance for confession and, uh, confesses some really terrible sin. Okay. We don't know what it was, but it was a serious mortal sin. Mm. Um, and Vincent de was really kind of taken aback that this man could have, because it was a sin he had committed 20 years prior or something like this, right? That this man could have been living in a state of mortal sin for half of his adult life and not going to confession, even though he was, uh, you know, deeply uh, contrite and troubled by this and so forth. And so he, he dug a little deeper and he, and he found out that it, it had to do with the formation of the priests in that region that, that the man didn't trust any of the priests for one reason or another right oftentimes the priests were you know relate relatives right in other cases the priests were living with concubines in some cases they were poorly educated and it was apparent to the faithful and so forth so for whatever reason you know and what vincent de paul did was encourage this man to to tell the story outside the seal of confession hmm. which he did then to to the the, the patroness madame de gondi um, so now that the now that this man's story is is public, as it were, now it can be it, it can be related. Um, and Vincent de Paul, th- this became like a like a seed stuck between tooth and gum for him. Right, he realized that what this man has carried, thousands are carrying. You know, there's uh, there's uh, the poor in the countryside are are dying spiritually for lack of priests. Uh, So the result of this is he ends up founding a a congregation to go out from the cities, Paris in particular, to the villages, to places where uh, the the local presbyterate is either not zealous or not well-educated or both, you know, and to bring the light of the gospel to these places, which... Uh, which the congregation did to, to great acclaim over over the next you know half century, and there's still Vincentians today, as they're called.
1: And the heart of it, is, if I am hearing it correctly, was there was a grace in in a confession where mm-hmm. he felt the weight of the man's mortal mm-hmm. sin having been unrepented. Exactly. Um, and the alarming, I guess, need to. Increase the formation of the priest to the poor and to everyone, particularly the poor that he was working with. Mm-hmm. Um, okay,
0: yeah, that's exactly it, right? To evangelize, to 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 bring good news to the poor. Yes, this is what the beautiful the vision was, you know. And then as his as his life went on, um, it, it became much more complicated uh, because he he was a man of uh, great energy, great resources, really broad shoulders and so people just kept asking him to do things Mm -hmm. uh so at a a certain point um he uh he just ends up something of 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 this ecclesiastical statesman type where he's forming other priests to go out and do the kind of work that he himself had been doing as as a younger man
1: okay thank you that is very helpful the context Mm. what would you say often the God the Father sends saints to be this antidotal medicine of Mm. particular time uh, and balm for a culture. Mm. What would you summarize St. Vincent de Paul's medicinal, spiritual balm was to this region in France and consequently the the fruit of the congregation he started?
0: Yeah, and to the the whole kingdom really because Paris was the principal city there. Um, So we're in the... uh, the, the century following the Council of Trent, right? Council of Trent closes in 1563, which is pretty much the same year that France is plunged into about 30 years of religious war between the Calvinists and, mm-hmm. and the Catholics. Uh, it's not a constant war, it's episodic. Uh, nevertheless, France arrives at the end of that period of strife, 1598, um, with a lot of, you know, having experienced a lot of suffering,
1: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of dislocation, and so on and not having at all implemented the council of Trent. Okay. So if we, hmm. if we pop down at France in let's, let's just take the year, uh, 1612 when Vincent de Paul became the chaplain to the Gondi family, uh, there's maybe two seminaries in all of France. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, now, you know, that's okay. I mean, for, for most of the history of the church, bishops trained their own men for the priesthood and would send them off to the great European universities, like the University of Paris and so forth, where there were little colleges where they could live in Priestly life and so forth. So it's not, it's not as though there weren't ways for priests to get educated. But when we think of priestly education as involving this intense period of being set aside from the world and under close spiritual direction and so yes. forth, that's all a product of the Council of Trent. Okay. And the Council of Trent called for seminaries to be, to be created hmm. in, in its last sessions in, in 1563. And you know, you fast forward fifty years to 1613 in France, and it just has, the work has not been done. Okay, so Vincent de Paul ends up being the the, the man who is is maybe the most energetic, uh, uh, you know, doer of of what the Council of Trent had asked for. So he's involved in the founding of about twelve different seminaries. Okay. Training men to staff those seminaries, mm-hmm. and he's as I mentioned, he's involved in this sort of personal training of priests that leads to um, men of of significant zeal becoming bishops in their own right. Uh, and I think this is maybe the most remarkable thing about him. You know, you ask about his his spiritual life; it's it's very simple, right? Humility, uh, a, a poverty of life, right? Mm-hmm. So. Hard work, no frills living—you know, do do the work of evangelization and catechesis, mm. um, and um, and did I say humility? Yes. I said I said humility, yes. right? Humility. And and then he, he was famous for having said, um, "We must become interior men," right? So this was you know, wow. prayer, humility, hard work, service to the poor. There there we go, right? Very simple. Uh, right out of the heart of the gospel kind of spirituality, and and I think the, the you know the amazing thing about him is that whether he was in his forties or whether he was in his seventies, some somehow the imprint of of this uh, you know this zeal is, is is placed on other other men. You know, so he's he's a leader of men in in a very effective way. Men come in contact with him and they're changed, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's really it, it's really quite something.
1: Sounds like know. he was a, a witness to the gospel in a way that potentially wasn't being as manifested as commonly, but had a, a ripple effect of mm-hmm. re, um, just yeah manifesting that simplicity and uh, outreach to the poor. And I did not know that he was one of the the first to really plant the seeds of, you know, the seminaries and formation that we see today in the mm-hmm. life of the church. I I know he is known as the patron of all acts of charity. Yeah. How would you explain what St. Vincent de Paul interpreted the word charity to mean in mm-hmm. light of what you're, you're saying?
0: Yeah. So, no, that's good, right? I mean, as far as his personal works, they were mostly uh, spiritual works of charity, uh, but what he did uh, for the rural poor uh, by himself and with the priests of the congregation of the mission, he then sort of as it were backed up by creating confraternities of women who did corporal works of mercy in the, in the spot, right? So he called, these were called the ladies of charity. Um, And then after that work had been going on, uh, for half decade or so, he met a woman named Louise de Mariac, who's a, a pious widow, uh, who was interested in assisting him in, in, in his mission. And eventually, in the 1630s, the two of them founded a religious order of women called the Daughters of Charity, that in the first place was meant to sort of assist the work of these lay women's confraternities that were actually doing the door-to-door work of of the charity and so forth. Uh, This is a time in the history of the church where um, an active congregation of women was was new, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a, you know, Francis de Sales had tried to create a congregation like this and Rome had said, no, Um, they weren't ready for women to be out there. As it were, on the streets doing acts of charity, and so Vincent de Paul is a, is a trailblazer in in that regard, <laughs> um, uh, and and that's it's from that uh, foundation that his reputation comes in you know that we're familiar with from our societies of Saint Vincent de Paul and parishes and so forth. we we we're thinking of, you know, giving winter coats to the poor and this sort of thing. That was, that was not his personal emphasis. It was more spiritual works of mercy for him, mm-hmm. right? And then what, what happens in 19th century Paris is a young man named Frederick Ozanam, who was a single celibate uh, professor of literature at the Sorbonne, creates uh, a little lay confraternity in a parish in Paris called the Society of St. Vincent de Paul right, in his honor. Okay. And it's from that foundation in the mid-19th century that we have our parish-based societies of St. Vincent de Paul yes. today.
1: Which is remarkable. They're still going strong and yeah. beating so many, uh, even today, From that stemmed from the ethos uh, and fruit of the life of St. Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious, uh, do you have any personal devotion to the saint?
0: Well, I do. September 27th is the day that he died and and went, went to... Heaven, Feast of St. Vincent de Paul. And it turns out that that was the day in 1999 that my wife Kathleen and I brought home for adoption, our eldest child. Oh, uh, so yes, uh, we, we, you know, are grateful to Vincent de Paul for his intercession and giving us John on that, on that day.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, the feast, like Dr. Bloom mentioned of St. Vincent de Paul is September 27th. And are there any other little nuggets about St. Vincent de Paul that, you think maybe are lesser known about him? Well, that are worth you know, watching? I think
0: I'll just give you a closing thought. How's that? I'll you take know, it. <laughs> I think that he's he's he has something in common with with John Paul II. Okay, John Paul II, um, as as I'm sure you all know, was a bishop, then Archbishop, Cardinal, and Pope, but mm-hmm. that whole time a bishop, right? For fifty years. Okay, so he, the, you know, he lived to be what eighty four from from his early thirties until he died, his life was entirely public, Hmm. right? His life was not his own, right? He was out there doing whatever as first auxiliary bishop and then later Pope, you know, whatever duty required, he was doing it. And the extraordinary thing about John Paul, as as we know, right, is that that whole long period of time, completely open to view is totally unbesmirched, right? I mean, it's just this amazing life of a man who's regular in virtue, devoted to duty courteous you know it all every virtue
1: integrity right yes.
0: exactly yep. right and Vincent de Paul's like that right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he he was a rakish kind of odd uh, clerical careerist in his 20s you know <laughs> by as, the, a by the, as a priest as a priest yeah by the grace of God and and the help of a, of a wise older priest right gets 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 a hold of himself <laughs> in his 30s and then very quickly, is in the public eye for the whole rest of his life, right? The king is consulting with him, bishops are consulting with him, etc. Mm-hmm. And that in that whole long period of time, he's known for just doing his duty, working hard, pushing forward, mm-hmm. always being helpful, and he continued to be charming. But uh, but now <laughs> charming and,
1: for the good, <laughs> it's char- charming
0: for the good, exactly. Yes. So that's that's a wonderful thing, you know. There's lots of different. Models of sanctity, right? And you know, there's martyrs whose very bright candle is snuffed out while they're still very young, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there're martyrs, then there saints who, who do, you know, some one extraordinary thing that that brings them to our attention or something like this. Right. In the case of John Paul II and Vincent de Paul, it's it's really the whole life that presents itself as as a kind of Marvel, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and that's for the, for those of us who are hmm. in the middle marches of life and still thinking about what it's going to take to make us saints. Uh, <laughs> there's something there's something inspiring about that. That if we continue to work hard and push towards the finish line, maybe by the time we're in our late seventies, uh, we'll we'll have some virtue. <laughs>
1: so that is a beautiful reflection. Obedience to the the daily grind, to the daily invitations, the um, Lord places before us. And that is interesting you mentioned St. John Paul II um, in connection to St. Vincent de Paul, because as I was understanding more about his his spirituality and his ethos, it was Mother Teresa who was also coming to mind, who Mm -hmm. had such a devotion to serving the poor and had such a spirituality of, uh, as we serve the poor, we serve the body of Christ. And I think St. Vincent de Paul also had foundations in that spirituality as well, um, in Mm -hmm. acts of charity. Uh, If you need to leave prayer to go serve the poor, you can offer that act as uh, prayer to God, um, Mm -hmm. Is something he had mentioned in one of his writings. So similar spiritual friends there as well. Well, thank you. This was very interesting to learn about the life of St. Vincent de Paul. Um, Thank you for um, all that historical knowledge as well. And we hope you enjoyed uh, and learned a few things on this episode. And St. Vincent de Paul, pray for us.
0: Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast themes. If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach.